Good morning. So excited to see so many people gathered here this morning. We have gathered here because we are continuing a tradition started by the earliest church that was formed around the teachings of Jesus Christ, the Acts 2 prototype church. And just like them, we are here to fellowship. We are to commune with God and with each other. We are here to pray, to worship, and to explore what the New Testament calls the apostles' teaching, which is simply how the whole scripture fits together in light of Jesus Christ and how to apply that in our lives. That's what we're doing this morning. And this series that we just started last week is all about how to do that better than ever. Uh, in the same sense, <clears throat> excuse me, in the same sense that we now sometimes say, it's time to adult, or I'm adulting right now, we're kind of saying, are we, are we churching right? Are we getting it right? How do, how do you church the way the early church churched? That, that, that almost sounds like, how much wood could it? Never mind. Um, but this, this is where we're going with this. We just want to ask, looking at the actual scripture, how this works. And one of the ways that has just made so much sense to me, it's going to, I hope, tie this together with you guys, is an illustration I shared last week from Daniel Strickland. She says that our lives are like trees. Our deepest beliefs fuel the values that drive the actions that produce the results that we see in our lives. And this is the same way it is with each one of these truths that we're going to explore. The deepest beliefs that we have fuel the, the particulars of how we tr each church tries to get that done. And then that informs the actual actions, the actual things that we do. And then the fruit shows if we're getting it right or not. And so we're going to look this morning at the deepest truths from the scripture, a little bit at some of the particulars that we, we take out of that as a church and some of the actions that we need to take. But mostly we're going to be focusing each time on exactly what God is saying and then taking stuff from that. I hope that makes sense. Here's another diagram that maybe makes sense to you. It sure, certainly makes sense to me. I introduced this several times the last several months. But um, this is from Ray Fullenweider, and it's a diagram of organization in the church. And I love this because it's how it actually works. Uh, a lot of times when you see a diagram of authority or a diagram of organization, diagram of leadership, it looks more like a tournament bracket. And there's a whole bunch of people at the bottom and like one person at the top. It's really not how it works, especially not in the church. And here's why. If, speaking of the roots, the deepest roots of this idea of leadership is leadership is an action, not a position. Leadership is a verb, not a noun. It's something that we do. Leadership is, is whether it's a good leader or not, whether they are taking people in a good direction or not, the very essence of leadership is you are taking people somewhere. Here's another way to say it. Leaders take others from something to something, or they take them out of something and into something else. Leaders take others from something to something, or they take them out of something and into something else. And all effective leaders do this. You guys all know, even when you're kids, some of you still are kids, there's a couple of them in here. Uh, teenagers especially, you guys know this, I know, but all of us, this is everybody in here. You, you know that you've had people that have been very effective leaders in your life that took you places you had no business going. You know what I'm talking about? But they took you from wherever you were to somewhere you shouldn't have gone, and they did that very effectively. Or they took you out of something that was a good thing and into something else that was a bad thing. Right? 
Effective leaders, even if they're not taking you somewhere good, that's what leadership is. And when you get someone who can take you out of something bad into something good, out of some place in your life that you should not have been, into some place in your life you need to go, that is good leadership. But leadership is that movement. That's the root, that's the core idea underneath it. And then when we talk about Christian leadership, when we talk about how God set up leaders in the church, then we've got to, we've got to always got to see what he's saying about leaders through that grid. It's not just who's going to sit in that seat. It's who's going to do that job and take people with them. Moses, in the story of Moses back in Exodus, we see this. God calls him, listen to the words he uses. He says, you must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. And God himself promised that he would lead them to a land that was flowing with milk and honey. In contrast, it was the religious, quote unquote, leaders who were Jesus' greatest adversaries and enemies in the New Testament. Why? because they were afraid that he was going to take away their positions of authority. This really couldn't be any clearer, but this has to be the foundation of where we're going. We've got to be asking this question, so what do leaders do? Where do they take people? How do they do that? If we're asking that question, we're going to be able to really understand everything that God says about Christian leaders, leaders in the church. Here's what Jesus said about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers, the leaders, quote unquote, that were opposing him. He said, they are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. You see that leadership, that movement thing going on? Patrick Lencioni is one of my favorite speakers and writers about the idea of leadership. I've seen him several times now and I guess see him again at the Global Leadership Summit about a week or so ago. And I, I love that. That whole summit, every single speaker used the same uh, phrase every time. They said, everyone has influence. And then all but him, they, the next thing they said was, and you should use your influence well, right? You guys were there. It was good stuff. Everyone has influence. You should use your influence well. He got up there and he goes, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this. But here, here <clears throat> everyone has influence and some people shouldn't. And it made us all laugh too, but it's kind of true because some people are going to take you places you shouldn't be going. And some people are in it for the wrong reasons. He made it really clear that if you, asserting, if you assert authority for the power or the perks or the pawn, trying to make other people your pawns, that is self-defeating and wrong and it's not true leadership at all. In fact, here's how he put it. I want to use his words. He said, responsibility-based leadership is the only true leadership. Not to be served, but to serve, he's quoting Jesus right there, is the only good reason to lead. I believe this. I believe this with all my heart, and I, I think it's true. He, he went so far as to be really blunt about it. You guys know what I'm talking about. He's really blunt. He said, here's the deal. If you're a leader, and you know that you're just in it for whatever power you think it's going to give you, whatever perks you think it's going to give you, the ability to control other people, you need to confess that and repent of that, or you need to quit. And he told people like that. Uh, it, was, it was powerful. It was a powerful moment. I hope it's powerful for you. It's powerful for me. 
Another thing also from that summit, it has really stuck out to me. I'm trying to share some of these because I, I feel like it was a real privilege and gift that I got to go to that. And it was just God's timing that we we're getting ready to talk about leadership and some of these same issues. But another speaker that I really loved was Liz Bohannon. And one of the many things that I got out of hers was this. She said that effective leaders move people from unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence. Let me read that one more time and then I'll explain it. Lead, effective leaders move people from unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence. And here's what this means. Uh, the point A of someone who's leading someone is this. You don't know what you don't know. Are you with me? You, 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 you're not where you need to be and you don't even realize it. But an effective leader is going to wake you up a little bit. They're going to challenge you. They're going to give you some sort of a, a dream or hope or vision or something that you didn't, you didn't see coming. That way you didn't even ask for it. You didn't want it. But somehow you've got that and that moves you to a conscious incompetence. You realize that there's stuff you don't know. You're starting to want that. You realize, hey, I, I, there, there's more out there and I had no idea, but I would like to know. And then they're going to take you one step further and you're going to be into a conscious competence. And that means you are trying your best and you're kind of doing it. You're starting to understand. You're starting to realize. You're starting, it's starting to become who you are, but it's still hard. You can do it, but it's with effort. And, but eventually, the transformation is complete. They get you all the way from A to B, all the way out of something into something else. And eventually, you get to a spot where that's just who you are now. You just do it. You can do it in your sleep. And whether you're teaching somebody to read, whether you're teaching somebody how to play the guitar, whether you're teaching somebody how to live like Jesus, it's the same thing. It's the same concept. That's what leadership does. This is exactly how Jesus was described. This is what Jesus was describing when he said, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. It's what Jesus meant when he said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And all throughout scripture you see that this kind of thing play out. You see some people that abuse leadership and how that pays off badly. You see people who use it wisely, who lead effectively and how that pays out well. And the ultimate example, of course, is Jesus. And Jesus, there's these two almost completely opposite images that both refer to him all throughout scripture and I love this he is the shepherd and he's also the lamb he's the one who's charged to lead the whole flock but he's also he's willing to lay down his own life to make that happen he's willing to do whatever it takes to sacrifice anything to get his flock from point a to point b from I don't even know what I don't know to I do this in my sleep in Revelation 7, 17, it's talking about in eternity what it's going to look like. And he's still got this image going on. It says, for the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life, giving water, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Is this making sense? So we're going to get practical now, but I hope that this foundation had to be laid to make any of the rest of this make sense well. The only perfect leader is Christ. We see that in Hebrews 2 and many other places. God gifts special people, though, specific people, with the task and the ability to lead. 
Just like God gives people the gifts and ability to give and to, to share and to encourage and to serve and to do many other specific things in the body of Christ, some people have a gift of leadership. Some people are given the responsibility to lead and to serve the entire rest of the body in this way. God is the one who provides leaders and God is the one who provides leadership gifts. And if you have leadership gifts, chances are God has given you a responsibility already. And if not, you better be watching. Because he gives us every gift he gives us, whatever gift it is, so that we can give it away. He gives every blessing so that we can bless others. That is how God does it. And if you have a gift or a calling or a desire to lead, as long as you're not wanting it for the power or the perks or to try and treat people like pawns, if you really genuinely want to serve, you dream about taking people from point A to point B, you long for an opportunity to help people transform. If you're not already doing that, God's going to call you into that pretty soon. So you better, just a heads up to you. That's the way it's going to happen because that's how that gifting works. In Romans 12, 6-8, Paul's talking about all these gifts. I left out a little bit. I hope you read the whole thing later. By the way, I always try to remind people the bulletin insert, which also this same outline gets put online every single time. Um, it has all these scriptures and many more. And I hope that you take advantage of that and actually read the whole things every single time. But I try to keep to about 30 minutes or less in here. And you just can't get that much scripture and those many ideas in that short of a time. So here we go. In his grace, says Paul, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. If God has given you leadership ability, take the, notice the word he gives you, take the responsibility seriously. He makes it clear in Ephesians and a few other places that we have all been called by God. We must all live a life that's worthy of our calling. We all have distinct and individual gifts and roles, but leaders are called to lead. Take people somewhere. Here's, why, here's how he says it in Ephesians 4.12. He says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Those of you who have been here for several weeks or months in a row, I hope that some of these verses are sounding very familiar to you. That is intentional, not an accident. I just want to give you heads up on that too. Here we go. One more big idea, and then we get really deep into the elders and deacons and what that looks like in the church and how we as a body of Christ need to lean even harder in that direction. But here's one more huge truth. All of us, including leaders... All of us, including leaders, must submit and be led. In God's kingdom, there is no place. In scripture, there is no position of authority that's above all the other human authority right next under Jesus. That's in any church that has something like that, whether they call him a pastor or they call him a head elder or a pope or anything else, any, in any position, that's something that mankind has created. In God's, in God's original prototype kingdom, the, there's Jesus and there's the rest of us. And the leaders are out in front, but they're moving with everybody else. They're not higher in some sort of a hierarchy. 
That's really important for us to understand how that works because that is the scriptural thing. That doesn't mean that it's wrong to have one person at the top of any particular organization or at the head of a committee or the head of an elder board or anything like that. It doesn't mean that's necessarily wrong. It's just that's not really the biblical format of how we were, how he set it up. There's Jesus and then there's all the rest of us and at the front of the line are the people that are taking us somewhere because of Jesus. Ephesians, um, all of us must submit to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.21 says we must submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That includes leaders. Leaders in particular are required to set an example. And you'll see that in just a second. Hebrews 3.7 actually says this. Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives. And follow the example of their faith. Hebrews 3.17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. I love this part. This is cool. This is especially talking about elders at this particular moment, but this is any person who leads you spiritually at all. This could be a parent. This could be a Sunday school teacher, a really good friend who cares about you and is speaking the truth in love, spiritual leaders in general, as well as elders. It says their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Let me say, those of us who are leaders, those of us who are doing our best to lead this congregation in a direction, if you could take that really seriously, we'd really appreciate that. That's a really good verse I'd like you to take home. Give us reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. I, I really appreciate you doing that. But let's look exactly what the elders and the deacons are called to do. Elders and deacons collectively are called to lead and to serve. They're like a team of shepherds in charge of the flock in honor of the great shepherd, the ultimate shepherd, the ultimate leader, Jesus Christ. Elders specifically in the scriptures are called to be the spiritual leaders. Their primary job is that. And if any church, including ours, gives them some other uh, responsibilities as well, that, that's not necessarily right or wrong. That's kind of a separate issue. But the core issue, scripturally, is what we're looking at today. And they are primarily spiritual leaders. That is what the elders are. And the deacons are primarily servants. And again, many of those serve by teaching, serve by spiritually leading others, serve in other ways. That's not wrong. But their primary job is being a servant, and an elder's primary job is leading people spiritually. They all do it all. It kind of is blurry lines, but they work together. Some of the scriptures I'm going to read to you, again, they're all listed in here, and I hope you all go back and reread all of them word for word. Some of these I'm going to list. Some of these I'm going to read out loud just exactly from these pages of scripture. But we're going to spend a few moments now just looking exactly what the scriptures teach us about the job description of elders and the job description of deacons. Where, where the roots are, where we get some of the trunks and some of the branches that we have on the tree that is Morrison Hill Christian Church. Here we go. Number one, coming out of 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is one of the primary places that we see qualifications for elders as well as job descriptions. Paul writes that an elder must be above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. Some old translations say the husband of one wife. 
And it literally means just one, because back then there were a lot of people who had more than one wife. And he's saying, no, the elders should only have one. That was God's ideal. But he's also saying a one-woman man, somebody who's faithful. That's the core idea in that one. An elder must be self-controlled. It must be someone who's known to be wise. They have a good reputation. An elder has to be someone who is a good host and able to teach. Not a heavy drinker, not violent, not quarrelsome. They must be gentle. They must not love money. They must manage their families well. They must not be a new believer. Why? Because a new believer is kind of at the back of the line. They may have more potential than anybody at the front of the line, but they're still being led. Does that make sense? It's not about power. It's not, not about anything like that. It's, it's about taking people somewhere. And you can't take someone somewhere. You're not going yourself. How many, is that sound familiar as well? I sure hope so. I throw that in as every chance I get. Here we go. Titus, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. Here's another list. And I'm just summarizing this quickly, but I urge you to go back and read it in Scripture. Whatever translation you look at, you will see these ideas. Almost the same. Uh, many of them are word for word, phrase for phrase. The same list uh, he gives Timothy. Here's a couple that are worded slightly differently, but it's almost the same thing anyway. He said an elder must be blameless. They must not be arrogant. They must be wise, but not be quick-tempered. They must be devout, but not dishonest with money. They must be disciplined. They must love what is good. Verse 9, I'm going to read that verbatim. He says, an elder, he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. Here's another really cool responsibility elders have. James writes, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray for you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. By the way, that's available to you guys here at Morrison Hill Christian Church. People don't usually ask. We don't spend hours and hours every week doing that. But that is something our elders do. And it is something that you can ask for. And we invite you to take advantage of that because we're always trying to follow Scripture. 1 Timothy 4, Paul writes, Do not neglect the spiritual gift you receive through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. This is where whenever you see somebody come forward and we lay our hands on them and pray, that's one of the places you get that. It's definitely the spot in the Bible where we get the idea of ordination, calling someone to a specific role that they're going to play, whether that be an elder or a deacon or a missionary or a minister or anything else. Man, I'm rushing through so much. It's like a tsunami. Are you guys still with me? Is this, is this okay? Okay, so here's the next thing. Uh, here's another thing a lot of people don't know, but there's no such thing as a clergy laity breakdown in the actual scriptures. That is something that we have, again, I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but that's, that's a way we've interpreted and built. That's part of the trunk of the tree, not the root of the tree. The elders, the ministers in the scripture were basically elders who were called to lead spiritually full time. So they couldn't afford to do this full time and still feed their families, and so they were paid. So there's a really blurry line in scripture, actual scripture, between the idea of an elder and the idea of what we would call a minister or a pastor. 
Does that make sense? In our church and in many other churches, there is a line. I'm not sure. That's a whole other thing, how technical we want to get with that. I just, want to, I just want to give you the core idea. Basically, a pastor, what we call a pastor, a minister, a youth minister, a children's minister, or ministry director, or whatever we call it. Here, here's the thing. They, they, are called, they, are, they are called to lead and lead full time. And the only way they can do that is they have to be paid to do that so that they can still live. And that's really the essence of, of where all of that comes from. There's no higher class in the, in the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what I mean by no clergy or lady. There's no, well, you're on this other plane. You're on this other spiritual thing. It, it's, that arrow thing is very consistent throughout Scripture. In 1 Timothy, Paul writes this, Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. It also says, this is part of the respect do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin, specifically elders who sin, should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. Paul says, I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. That's beautiful stuff. And that goes for all of us. Again, all of us in one way or another are called to be spiritual leaders. But when God especially gives certain people and gives them a special responsibility, that is what an elder looks like. Then there's these guys we call deacons. The deacons, they first appear in Acts chapter 6 when the apostles just couldn't get everything done so they got some people that everybody trusted and respected in these specific ways and, and got them to do that. The most famous is Stephen, the first martyr of the church. But here's what Paul writes about deacons. We're almost done here, but please don't stop listening. This is so important. Here we go. A deacon must be well-respected, a man of integrity, not a heavy drinker, not dishonest with money. He must be committed, have a clear conscience. He must be faithful to his wife. Same thing, one woman, man. Manage his children well. 1 Timothy 3.10 is where we get the idea of whenever you see us elect new elders or deacons, there's always these handouts in the bulletin. And hey, does anybody have an issue with them or that kind of stuff? Here's where we get that, this verse right here, 1 Timothy 3.10. Before they are appointed as deacons... Let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. Here's one you don't hear talked about, but it's just as important. It's in the same passage. It's in the same thing. It's right there equal with all these other qualifications. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. And my encouragement to any of the wives of people who serve is you have no idea how much of a support, how massive of a role you play, not only in helping your husband, but also this entire church. I also want to take this opportunity to let you know that if single women and women in general lead in many, many, many ways. The only reason I'm not mentioning women in this position is I'm just reading exactly what the scripture says. I'm not reading anything into it this morning. But I'm telling you, there's, there's still equality in the scripture. There, there, there is no, just like there's no hierarchy 
There's Jesus and then there's all these other people. The roles we play are the roles we play. It doesn't make us better, closer to Jesus. It doesn't make anyone lesser. I don't know if you guys know who Holly Selassie is, but I'd like to share this. This is another thing that Daniel Strickland, same one with the tree thing, she, she brought up, and I, I'd never thought about it this way. I'd heard of him before. Holly Selassie's actual given name was Tafari, and a lot of people in Jamaica call him Ross Tafari, the great guy. He's the guy they worship as the Messiah. I, didn't know if you, I don't know if you know that or not, but the, the Rastafarian religion still worships this guy who was killed in 1975 as their Messiah. That's where I'd heard of him before. I knew that he was the emperor of Ethiopia, and that's about all I knew. What I did know is he was the last of the Solomonic dynasty, which they can trace their, their um, ancestry person by person, documented all the way back to King Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, who apparently traded more than just gifts. <clears throat> Sorry, just telling the story. But here's the thing. This guy, as the emperor of Ethiopia, he lived in luxury. He, he, he spent his life traveling the world and working with the UN and trying to bring Ethiopia up to a, a level of other countries that were way bigger, more influential, and had a lot more people. And the people she was interviewing in some of her research about leadership, she was asking, was he a good emperor? Almost everyone they asked said, yes, he did a great job. He was wonderful. And she, she, was, she was so confused because she was like, do you know that he allowed himself and encouraged people to worship him in other countries? Well, that, that's okay. He's the emperor. That's part of his job. Do you, do you realize that he was killed because while people were starving, a minimum of 80,000 people died in that one famine that started in 1973 and was why they killed him? in 1975 because the whole time he was living in luxury flying around the world in in amazing jets and eating the best of food while people are starving at one point trying to cheer people up he spent thousands of dollars to bring in swedish exercise gurus to lead people in exercise to try and boost morale but he didn't feed them and people got tired of it and they kicked him out she said isn't this a problem and they said no He's the emperor. He deserves it. That's who he is. It's part of his job. The root of the tree was corrupt. Are you following me on this? And so all the trunk stuff made no sense, and the branches made no sense, and the fruit was terrible, and people were starving to death. And what I'm inviting you to remember this morning as we look at these ideals is simply this. Let's make sure that not only in how we look at leadership, how we lead, how we follow, how we lead and follow at the same time, how we submit, how we submit to each other, all of these things. Make sure that we're looking at the right stuff, that the job description is not one that we made up, but one that God made up, that, that the spiritual leading and the serving and all of those things are the core of whatever else happens. Because if we do that, then the rest of this stuff is going to go well. Whatever else we add to it to try and apply that to 2019 Morrison Hill Christian Church and beyond, that it, will, it will hopefully really have a really good chance of getting it right. But it has to start here. Or otherwise we could believe anything. 
This morning, we're going to ask you to make a decision, as we always do. Uh, my, my dream is always that every single person makes a decision. Every single person in, in this room, whether you're uh, an official elder or deacon of this church or just leading anybody else along the way, just another Christian, please, band, come on over. Um, if you, if you, no matter what kind of a leader you are, that you would, you would embrace this. That, that you would either be encouraged this morning and go, wow, I've still got a ways to go, but I, that's, where I, that's what I'm shooting for. All right, let's go. Or maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to confess that and repent. Maybe you need to quit. I don't know. But I'd like you to take that seriously. And the rest of you, if God is calling you into leadership or God is calling you to submit better or to pray more or to make it a little bit easier on your leaders or whatever else that you heard today that might make a little bit since you feel God is calling you, I want you to make that choice. And if, if there's anyone here who's never given your life to Jesus in the first place or you've got some other decision you'd like to share, you need prayer, please come forward and let us share that with you. And we would love to encourage you and pray with you. Let's stand and let's make those decisions together.